0: Well, welcome to November, Jay. It's uh, starting to get kind of cold here in, in the Portland area. It's a little frost on the on the ground and I uh, had to take my kids to school and wipe down the or clear off the, the windshield for, I don't know, maybe the first time this year. So uh, I don't know. How, how are things going in the UK?
1: Yeah, it's not that cold here. I mean, that's, a, that's quite a big switch. It wasn't that long ago we were talking about you were still out on your bike in the sunshine. I mean, it, it's cold. I mean, it's 10 degrees centigrade for anyone that needs to figure that out. Um, yeah, it's starting to get cold, de- de- definitely. Um, but one of the things, I mean, I, I can't believe we've been running the forum almost a year now. I mean, when we think about it, that's crazy. It'll be a year in January. So how time flown.
0: It's gone by very fast and a lot has happened uh, in the industry. Uh, so let's uh, let's talk about some news in our November uh, news update. Uh, I think the first one is um, Bleeping Computer uh, reported a Zscaler outage on October 25th, um, approximately 8 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, they, they got reports of hard down. Uh, and um, Bleeping Computer reported high latency, high packet lost uh, from the Zscaler cloud. Took a while. ZK- Zscaler finally did confirm they had an issue. Uh, and uh, believe they fixed it within 30 to, to 60 minutes. Uh, but it really goes to show, um, you know, even though you have multiple clouds, uh, lots of redundancy, uh, customers were still impacted. So, um, yeah, you, you really have to start to pay attention to these things.
1: Yeah, I think from from what I'm hearing it was their web gateway side of things because obviously they run on on their remote access and their web gateway run on on different clouds and I think it affected anyone I think in South America that was using their web gateway um but I I mean their web gateway it's been around a while I mean that was kind of where they started off um so it it's it's built on kind of older infrastructure it's not built in the cloud i mean it's built in their own data centers um, on their own hardware so if there is a little bit of a hiccup somewhere i mean i guess it's difficult for them to kind of to pivot over and i i know that had a knock-on effect to quite a lot of customers and and i mean other other large vendors as well are having similar issues that are built on kind of in data centers and stuff and and for being able to spin up that like an expand They're struggling right now because of supply chain issues and all of that stuff. So they're struggling to get hardware. Obviously, more and more people are moving towards SSE, moving towards SASE. These companies are having to grow and probably grow at a rate they didn't think they would be two or three years ago. And therefore, the supply chain problems and all the hardware problems and all those mean that, that kind of growing and taking on all those new customers they're really struggling with.
0: I think it's like anything as uh, a company grows from, you know, startup phase into its middle phase, and then, uh, you know, really starts to expand and add customers. Uh, That's always a challenge is how do you scale a platform and do it in such a way that you have redundancy, you have resiliency, but you're also optimizing for performance. Those are those are challenging things to do. uh, As you know, again, as as Zscaler's growth has been absolutely incredible, uh, as well as the changing pace of the work workplace, you know, distributed workforce, distributed applications. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, we've seen this with Azure, we've seen it with AWS, these are growing pains, and and uh, these things happen. Uh, but again, to your point, uh, it, a lot comes down to the design of, of the architecture. Uh, and it really goes back to kind of the key takeaways from me. Uh, and this is not only about Zscaler, this is really about you know, as you go out and start to look at making changes, adopting new technology, you really have to ask the questions around infrastructure. Um, you have to look at the redundancy. And the question I always ask myself is, um, as you you know evaluate if you're an enterprise architect, if you're an engineer that's going to have to support this, maybe it's an operations person. And even up to the level of um, leadership, you really want to take a, uh, from a, from a network focus, a packet walk through the service. You really want to understand, you know, as my traffic enters into uh, vendor X's cloud, what does that path look like? And um, the questions you want to ask are, are you pinned to a cloud? Are you pinned to a pop? What is the failover mechanism? Is it an active passive failover mechanism or is it active active? Um, it's the same type of questions you would ask yourself as you rearchitect or redesign a data center, a campus internet connection, a branch office. Um, just because it's in the cloud doesn't mean it's perfect. Uh, there's always trade-offs. There's always uh, areas you have to ask about, you have to understand, because at the end of the day, you know, you're providing a service to your business. And uh, you have to do the due diligence to understand what happens if there is a failure and how do you recover from that. So, you know, you're protecting your business, you're protecting the ways you you generate revenue or protect that revenue. Um, I, I think it's very critical that as you go into this new era of SSE, SASE, uh, whatever it may be, um, you've got to look at it and, and ask the, the tough questions and walk the walk, uh, do the packet walk through the service so you truly understand uh, how things are architected, how things are built.
1: Yeah, I mean, you've said everything that, I mean, we've all been doing it throughout our career. I mean, I remember servers came along and you had single disks, and then they were like, that's not resilient, that's not redundant. Let's create a mirror disk or a RAID 5 or RAID 6 or RAID 10, and, and things changed over time. VMware then came along. And that was all about resilience that was about being able to run multiple machines on a single box but actually everyone realized a single box wasn't enough you need to split those machines across several boxes so when we've been able to kind of put our arms around that technology because it's been in our data centers it gives you that more of a, a confident factor and i think moving to the cloud has been sped up so much because of the pandemic i mean people were moving anyway But people have now moved at such a quick rate that I think a lot of the questions that you've just phrased right there and then haven't been asked. People have been forced to move because users have moved and they've had to move the data and and they've therefore accelerated that move that was going on. But I think now now is a good opportunity for people to to have a second look and and to open their eyes and, and talk about what is resilient, what is redundant, how does it work? Because a lot of the cloud vendors have been around for quite a long time and have they adapted um, and like hard drives adapted to having mirroring, like VMware adapted, uh, have this kind of second round, these kind of stage two vendors fix some of the kind of series one type vendors, if that makes sense.
0: No, it makes total sense. I mean, if you think about it, uh, March of 2020, uh, we're, we're, closing in on almost three years and, and a lot of companies out there had to adopt, you know, technologies for remote work to support, uh, you know, the COVID workforce, uh, and, um, you know, you know they, they've they had the opportunity to run on it now. Um, and those three-year contracts uh, are starting to come due. So I think it's it's time to, you know, reassess uh, right about now. You need to start thinking about it because um, March, if, you you know, you sign the agreement in March or April or May or whatever, that's going to come up pretty quickly. And um, you want to give yourself an opportunity to put your head up, think about it. Uh, did I make a, a quick decision? Uh, is this the right tool for me or do I need to look elsewhere? And one of the items we'll talk about a little bit later in the, in the podcast is this concept of a single vendor sassy. And we'll dive a little deeper into that one. Uh, but that's an area you you want to focus on is, um, you know, how am I setting myself up for the future? And uh, what does my portfolio look like? And uh, how can I set myself on a path to take advantage of you know really what the future is going to be is is uh, not a a multiplex of of tools and solutions for network and security but um, maybe it's two or three vendors that you, you focused in on for remote workforce uh, connectivity to your branch offices and uh, delivering network and security services um, it's now time to start to take a look so uh, my recommendation is uh, for you folks out there that uh, you know did sign those three-year agreements Start now to do your due diligence. It's it's just like back in the days when uh, you were negotiating these wide area network contracts with an AT&T, a Verizon, a Colt, whoever it may be, Orange, and you want to you want to take that opportunity to to see if there's an opportunity to to save money, to get better services, uh, those types of things. And, and you can't wait until the last minute to do it. Uh now's a really good time to take advantage of that, especially with some of the the budget pressures from the economic headwinds that we're starting to see uh coming our way. So um my recommendation again, I'll, I'll say it for probably what the third time is uh Take a look around, uh, ask the questions and uh, look at the vendor's space. The landscape has changed and uh, everyone's evolved their product. So uh, don't miss out on that opportunity.
1: Yeah, I mean, like you saying that, I mean, and I said this before, the innovation that's happened over the last three or so years has forced technology to move on more than I've ever seen it move on in my career. So Yes, we didn't change a lot of hardware assets. We would sweat those assets because the, the innovation wasn't there. Why get rid of a switch and buy something that did exactly the same? You're just spending more money. There's an opportunity now, because technology has moved on so fast, to level up, to scale up, to 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 fill the gaps that you have in the current technology or to at least look at what those gaps are and see if they they can be filled. So I, I echo what you say. Now is a perfect time.
0: So let's move on to uh, someone else who's uh, really sped up and and created an Im- uh, impact on the industry. Cato Networks. Um, they just recently touted last week uh, Centaur status, and for those not familiar with what Centaur status is, it's a step beyond uh, unicorn status. So um, they have reached um, five or one hundred million dollars. In ARR, so annual recurring revenue, uh, and they um, did that rather rapidly. So they uh, touting themselves in the, um, the 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 level of, of Twilio, Wiz, uh, Zapier, um, Shopify. So um, they released a press release the other day, said the uh, the Cato Sassy Cloud has been adopted by over fifteen hundred enterprise customers, spanning twenty three thousand branch locations. And cloud instances with 450,000 remote workers over 150 countries. So um, my key takeaway from this is the transition is on. People are moving away from the the solutions of the past built on packet-based networking and and a separation between network and security, and are starting to look at uh, you know cloud-delivered uh, network models. Cato being one of them, the SASE cloud, and uh, they've they've done pretty darn well.
1: I mean, it's incredible when you think about it. I mean, those numbers are are astronomical. I mean, but it just goes to show how big those markets are. I mean, whether you're kind of going down the route of SSC with a separate SD1, or whether you're going to go down the route of a, of a SASE is up to you. And I think it's a choice that each person or each business is going to take. But that 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 growth is is it just goes to show the rate in which people are moving and the the, the the change in world and the change in the workforce and, and, and those driving factors. I mean, we talk about SSE and we talk about SASE all the time. And, and I think because they are relatively new markets, the first player in that market is going to grow really rapidly because there's no real competition. So Cato are are well-known. There's not that much competition in that market, so they've kind of stepped in first, and they'll gather up everyone that wants to move for a period of time, but a bit like Zscaler and kind of in the SSE market, and they they were in the market before it was called SSE, before it was even called ZTNA. In fact, really, they kind of termed the phrase ZTNA, Um, but it, it goes to show that when you get in early, you can grow at a phenomenal rate. But I'd be really interested in knowing, a bit like Dscaler have been around a while, I'd be quite interested in knowing what that what those fast followers are going to do. What can be adapted? I mean, we've talked before about the next kind of technology change around SD-WAN and SASE and SSE. What is it that people are going to want to do? I've said this before and I'll say it again. I wouldn't necessarily or I don't think I would go down the route of a, a SASE vendor. I would probably keep my SSE and my SD1 separate. Um, but that's a personal choice. I think that other people will combine them and 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 I have thought that for a while. And their acceleration just goes to show that that people are going down that route.
0: Yeah, key key items here. Um it's still early days in terms of sassy. Uh, because, you know, when you release a press release, you must have something uh, quoted from Gartner, because Gartner is the home of of, of this term, SASE. Um, and, and what they basically say is that uh, right now, uh, one third of new set by 2025, one third of new SASE deployments will be based on a single vendor SASE offering up from 10% in 2022. What that means is incredible growth in this space. Uh they are predicting a kegger of about 35.8%, and for the market to reach $21 billion by 2026. And to your point, that's a lot of room for a lot of vendors. For a lot of vendors, what does that mean for you? It means competition, means innovation, and uh, what we're going to see in this space over the next uh, few years is a lot of innovation uh to your point we're dealing with software here software can be easily modified and scaled so uh it's gonna be interesting times uh for everyone so again back to my point earlier in this uh, podcast take a look around uh don't get locked in on the vendor you have today do your due diligence uh go out ask the questions uh, walk the walk, walk through the service, understand how these vendors are providing their their offerings to you uh, and do the deep dives because um, the space is going to rapidly evolve and uh, the vendors that you are working with today will probably be around, uh, but there'll be other vendors too. so um, don't uh, don't keep don't keep your head down on this one. And speaking of head down, um, Fortinet, uh, Fortinet had uh, its, its results. Again, another gangbuster quarter for for Fortinet. They continue to crush it. Um, The sales in their third quarter were actually really good. Revenue climbed by 33%. Year-over-year quarter, $1.15 billion. They surpassed the Wall Street estimate of $1.12 billion. Uh, Bottom line results were really good, but they had a bit of a challenge. they predicted their their billings uh, will be down for the next quarter. As a result, uh, Wall Street took a 13% haircut on their stock. The stock crashed from 55 down to 45. It also took along with it um, some of the majors like Palo Alto Networks, Zscaler, and um, yeah, this uh, this created a little bit of a of a concern within the market. But interestingly enough. Wall Street seems to have a memory of an ant. Two weeks later, if you go check the Ford and its stock, it's back to 55. uh, Zscaler recovered. uh, Palo Alto recovered. So kind of key takeaway here is the economy. uh, No one seems to kind of know where this is going. Some people say it's going to crash. Other people say it's going to continue to go up. Other people say it's going to kind of remain the same. So um, interesting times that we are living in right now.
1: Yeah, I mean the markets are really fickle right now. I mean, when I when I looked at their results, I was like, they're really good results. They're killing it, they're crushing it. And then suddenly the stock was going down. And I was thinking, what what I mean, that the, the the guidance they offered was things are gonna slow down a little bit. There's some supply chain issues, et cetera, et cetera. We don't know how things are gonna pan out. I mean, it was purely about being honest and just saying we don't really know where the future's going here and suddenly they're down by 13 14% but now they're back to where they started and i mean it seems like i mean the us stock market is is quite heavily tied to the kind of inflation and interest rates from what i can tell as it is in the uk so every time the fed get together or the bank of england get together and they talk about interest rates Either if the market's already baked in the rise, then nothing really happens, or the stock may go up if they announce that the rise isn't as high, but it's very random. And and I would love to have significant money right now because you could place your bets and you could win a lot, um, but equally you could lose a lot. So it's, I fundamentally think the market these people are in is is a huge market. I think there's a huge need. I think they will grow. And I'm not saying everyone. I mean, some of the older vendors that are pivoting from selling firewalls to try and sell in like in the cloud. I I, I don't know if they're going to be able to pivot in the same way as the new vendors coming up. Um, I don't know if the recession is going to come along. I almost feel like the more we talk about it, the more chances are it's going to happen because people get frightened. But who knows? I mean, we should do another one of these in a year's time and, and look back and go, what actually happened? How did things pan out?
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, it's, it's hard to say where, where things are going. Um, you are seeing, you know, in in the United States, we're seeing improvements, uh, you know, gas prices, uh, kind of a major, uh, uh, pain point for a lot of folks, uh, are are way down. So I, I was paying close to $6 a gallon, which, uh, kind of shocked me a little bit fortunately I don't drive a lot since uh, you know I'm working uh at home today uh in in, in this time uh and it wasn't like it was in 2019 but uh now we're starting to see gas prices I think driving yesterday from a, a vendor event uh down to about $4.50 so that's a $1.50 of, of of savings per gallon um and we're starting to see some of the other things uh, prices stabilize within the grocery stores. Uh, things are starting to return back to normal. The election uh, is is behind us, uh, at least right now it is. So hard to say what's going on. On the other hand, uh, lots of layoffs. Uh, it looks like Amazon's going to do a, a, a cut of almost 10,000 people, uh, mass layoffs at Twitter. And I'm not going to get into Twitter because that's a that's another topic for another day uh but uh you know companies are taking advantage of this opportunity to uh, trim their workforces and um that sometimes is a it's it's an awful thing that it happens right now in in november leading up into the holiday season uh but on the other hand um a lot of these folks um are are knowledgeable if they're coming from it um they go off uh either join a new company or uh form a new company and that just you know that cycle of innovation that we've seen so often happen out of silicon valley and and other centers of it uh starts up again so um it, i think uh my opinion on this is yeah we're going to take a dip but um probably by the middle of next year, things are going to start to kind of to pick up again. Um, it, it, we're in this this crazy uh, evolution right now of, of technology, of cloud, um, networking. We had a great conversation this uh, past week or so with uh, Greg Farrow. And he said something very interesting. He goes, look, um, networking may be slow in terms of its evolution, but it runs in about a 10-year cycle. So, you know, kind of going back on that, if we look at it, packet-based networking uh, in the 2000s, uh, you know, it was, it was about a data center and how do you route traffic to a data center um, that had to scale. So we had the evolution of SDN, SD WAN, uh, the middle 2010s. Uh, that was the cycle there, and now we're starting to enter this new cycle of SSE and SASE, where the edge is the focus, uh, remote workforce and distributed applications, uh, and that to me again uh, the kind of the theme i think we're working here with on this uh this podcast is uh there's great opportunity in the, in this market in this place and, and and for companies uh to take advantage of it and grow and in almost in a sense optimize their network and security investments so um exciting times
1: yeah i mean and i think that's an opportunity for people. I mean, as much as I don't like seeing people get laid off, I mean, I was laid off at one point in my career and it was really difficult to deal with, but actually looking back on it, it it was good for me. I mean, at the time it certainly didn't feel like it, um, but it enabled me to learn something new, to look through different eyes and to go out and kind of get more training into I actually went from the job I was laid off from to work in Formula One, which was a huge passion of mine. So it opened up an opportunity and helped me kind of fulfill a dream that I'd been kind of playing with in my head for a number of years, but wasn't really willing to to take that next step to to kind of leave something stable and and to, to take that risk. So being laid off forced me. I, I had no choice. So I, I reached out and got that job. So um, but I guess that helps us pivot quite nicely onto talking about training um so zscaler have have released their um zero trust training and certification and there's already been noise in the industry that you can't really have a vendor offering a training course that's agnostic um so i actually sat some of the course and took the exam and, and to be fair a lot of the content was good um but it only looks at a very narrow view of zero trust. It obviously looks at it through the Zscaler eyes. And that's not to say it's not worth doing. I thought the course was good. I thought it taught some of the basics. I thought the exam questions were asking questions on those basics. Um, but it does concern me. At least with Cisco, they would call it Cisco certified course. And the, the, the debate that seems to be going on on LinkedIn at the moment is, zscaler maybe should have called it zscaler zero trust but it, but it's not um whereas the csa are offering i think more of an agnostic view on zero trust and therefore they're pulling in the likes of john Kindervage, who we've interviewed on the podcast and and, and obviously jim revis who we've interviewed and i think they're and i don't know yet because it's not been released but i was i would expect theirs to be more agnostic and If you happen to be someone that finds yourself laid off right now and you're you're looking at maybe a pivot, then zero trust is probably one of the things that is up and coming that you should probably consider reading up on. I mean, George Finney, we had on the podcast as well as a really good book that would be interesting. The CSA themselves are offering content um, and training. So John, I don't know what your thoughts are on the whole kind of zero trust training thing.
0: Um I think you know first of all I think we all agree zero trust is not a technology it's not a product it's not 2.0 it's a strategy and um if if you go from there um you know it, vendor agnostic training is is uh, probably the right path but as well I think there's also room for um training on a on a product so you know Zscaler wants to promote their version or, uh, their view on zero trust, all, all power to you. Um, you know, I, I, think it's, it's critical is, is, you know, from a management perspective, if I am running Zscaler, I want someone who's familiar with the product. I, I want, uh, there to be a barrier for entry and, and, uh, uh, a certification is always a, a positive thing that it, it shows that that person, um, Took the time to understand the product. Uh, took the time to understand that vendor's point of view on that technology. So um, I I support them and and applaud them for for bringing forth a certification. Um, all of that said, again, it's it's a strategy. So you know, are cor- groups like the CSA, and I, I suspect there'll be others. Uh, coming out with zero trust training, uh, you know, again, I support that. So if I'm an engineer, and uh, you know, I'm from Amazon, or or whoever it may be, and I recently got laid off, and I want to go study uh, zero trust, uh, I'm, I'm going all in. And, um, you know, I'm first picking up George Finney's book, uh, then maybe it's the Zscaler training, then maybe it's the CSA training, and then maybe it's whatever else out there um, that's available to me. Um, I'm just going to consume it all. And, and I think those various points of view are, are, are super valuable. And I think it also speaks, again, we'll go back to the topic of this industry is, you know, there's there's going to be a lot of companies, a lot of innovation happening in this space. And um, as, as more folks and more groups and more companies come out with this sort of uh, testing and uh, training—it uh, just—it—it's it, the tide that raises all the boats. So um, yeah, bring it on, and and I think this transition certainly is helped by certification. We saw it with networking with Cisco, uh, and then we saw it, you know, similarly with firewall training from Palo Alto. Um, the more that's out there, the more opportunities people have to learn. I think is 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 good.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've spent a lot of my career studying and and. I mean, my mum and, and my girlfriend have always said to me, all you do is study, you learn. Have you not learned enough yet? Well, no, the answer is no. I, I, I like what I do. So funnily enough, picking up a book like George Finney's and re- reading about zero trust, I like to do. And there are people out there that, that like to do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, what I'm really happy to, to see and hear is zero trust is becoming a thing again. I mean, I say again, because it's not just been invented. It was talked about by John however many years ago. But it's nice to see that companies are offering training, there's documentation. I mean, obviously the CSA are doing good work on kind of bringing everything together. And it's nice to see that they're actually working with the likes of John and Paul Simmons from Jericho and Chase and all of the people that we've obviously had on the podcast, but those kind of founders, I'll call it, of Zero Trust. So it's nice to see that they're not just making up the content that they're actually going back to the source and saying, what was it you had in mind? And the CSA are are running and and it's a good event. And it's one of those things where it's like, well, we need to look at what the initial idea was. And then it does need to be adapted into the world we're living in today. Because when obviously John and those folks started talking about it back then, the world was different. Um. But he has adapted it he, he's changed some of the documentation and it is it's really good to see people actually going back to that source and creating something for this for this world we live in today because i know both of us fundamentally think that zero trust is a good strategy to follow and i, I do want to echo the fact you said it's not a product because it because it's not it's a strategy
0: yeah so if you've taken the training um please reach out let us know give us your feedback uh, we're very interested in in you know what your viewpoint was on uh maybe this it's the it's the Zscaler training maybe it's the CSA training maybe it's somebody else uh but yeah give us some feedback and and let us know how go how it went for you and and uh where uh, do you see you know the best advantage for you is it vendor based training is it an independent organization is it something else is it George Finney's book um we're uh very interested so so reach out to us
1: yeah, so I know we spoke a little bit at the start of this process about SASE single-vendor unicorns. Um, again, I mean, I love the concept of the SASE framework. And and it, for me, if you buy SASE and you integrate it with SD-WAN, and whether that's API integration or IPsec tunnel integration, whatever it might be, have you implemented SASE? I mean... I think you've probably implemented the SASE framework, but we're still in your mind. And it, is, is a SASE single vendor the way to go or not? I mean, it's a real struggle. What's What's your thoughts, John?
0: I think it goes back to what problem am I trying to solve? So if I'm looking to solve branch connectivity, if I'm looking to solve um, connectivity between uh, uh, campus locations uh, in in the traditional sense that we we viewed the world in 2019, um, SD WAN is the way to go. So uh, start there. If if you know you're also if you're entering into a situation where your three year agreement with your major telecom is coming up and you want an opportunity to save a lot of money and and reposition your network to Take advantage of cloud and SaaS and and make your life a lot easier, so you don't have to send all that traffic back to your data center. SD-WAN is the way to go if that's the problem you're looking to solve. So I would start there. Um, if your problem is remote workforce, hybrid workforce, how do I connect? You know, my my uh, ten thousand branches of with ten thousand employee or branches of one. Uh, back to my assets and I want to do that in a secure way uh SSE is the way to go uh it's it's a different problem to solve um that's that's kind of where I start now in terms of of making decisions on a single vendor I think it's too early we started this conversation with uh this this uh, concept around um you have to reconsider you know where you're at today um, and um, you know, really walk the walk of a packet through a process, through a cloud, through a, a technology, and understand it. Um, two of the main things that single vendor sassy has is is um, a single pass architecture. I don't know if that exists. I have not seen it yet. Um, a lot of vendors will tout it. But once again, as you walk that packet through their through their cloud through their technology, you find that that's not the case. Uh, there's there's multiple UIs. Um, it's what I call a brownfield portfolio, basically where they took a collection of products that they either owned or acquired and brought them together under an umbrella called Sassy. Um, that is not single vendor Sassy. It's just not. Uh, if you're using hardware at your edges uh, to get uh, solutions into your cloud and then treating them there. Again, that's not single vendor sassy. Uh It is not a single pass architecture, as well as the other piece is um, having a data lake where you can take all that telemetry uh, from the network, from the security. Um, I'm still not seeing that. I, again, uh, it's, it's very early days. Um, now, will there be that sassy single vendor unicorn i I think so at some point and i think it'll take uh form in 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 two different uh methods the first one would be a hardware-based solution basically taking your uh what we call today sd-wan uh adding a uh enterprise style firewall that you know has the ability to to be application-based and uh then distributing that uh, fabric uh across your landscape. I think that's that's one opportunity. And you, you're starting to see that a little bit. Fortinet has had a lot of conversations around that. Um, they're headed in that uh that 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 uh down that path. Um that's a very decentralized distributed model uh with a lot of hardware. There's good and bad about that. Um Another option is um, the cloud-based version. So that's like a Zscaler, an uh, Axis-style technology that's 100% software-based. The only hardware you may include there is is, uh, a router with an IPsec connection back into their POPs, their clouds. Um, But it's all 100% software-based. And um, I see that one as as another mechanism, uh, and and some people will question that and go, you know, that's not uh, sassy. It doesn't include SD-WAN. Well, what is SD-WAN? Is SD-WAN really has to have hardware in it? Does it have to be that traditional view that we had in 2015, 2016? No, it does not. Uh, you can certainly build a network fabric. Uh, across the cloud, across multiple data centers using software. You can leverage uh, the cloud giants, AWS, Azure. They both have network accelerators. Um, that's another format that I see as as, as kind of that, uh, that SD-WAN-ish style technology. SD-WAN, really, it, it's connectivity at the end of the day. Um, so I kind of see those two models, uh, you know, being built out, which one will come first. I don't know. Uh, but, um, it, again, we're early days. If you think about the quote from Gartner, uh, that was resident in the, the, um, the Cato, uh, news press release, um, 10% they're saying it's still at 10%. I think it's even lower than that. Cause I, I, I honestly don't think there is a single vendor sassy. Um, but I think the point is that um, it's gonna happen. It's gonna grow. The market is gonna increase the $21 billion. Uh, someone's gonna figure it out. Someone's gonna get closer. And um, my recommendation is, again, you gotta ask the questions. You gotta be able to walk the packet through the process, understand, you know, is this single pass architecture? Is there a data lake underneath it that I can take advantage of? Um, Does it meet uh, the the test of a single vendor SASE? Um, And again, I'll go back and it's what problem are you looking to solve? So today, if I'm a a network engineer, a manager, uh, maybe in my previous role, um, it's back to what problem am I looking to solve? And um, as I solve that problem, I'm starting to look a little bit forward and saying, hey, so if I'm starting with SD-WAN, does the SD WAN vendor have integrations with some of the SSE partners? Uh, and what sort of integrations are they? Is it just dumping traffic off into their cloud? Or is it a little bit more than that? And the same for the SSE vendor. How are you integrating with uh, you know, these SD-WAN vendors out there? Or do I really need that? Um, do they offer network acceleration technologies? Those are the kind of questions I'm asking. So I'm I'm looking to solve my problem today, but also starting to think ahead.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you've said a lot there. And it, it one of the things I, I'd like to, to point out is I fundamentally don't know how you will get a networking tool like SD-WAN with all the things that you would see in a standard networking portal about configuring SD-WAN in the same portal as you would all the things you do currently in SSE portal. For me... I can see that SSC can be in one place and should be in one place and should have one data lake and should offer all that kind of connectivity in your secure web gateway and your remote access ETNA and all of that. I can physically see and imagine that in one place. I've also managed SD1 in the past. I honestly don't know how you can put those two in one place to make it worthwhile buying from the same vendor. And if you if they're not in the same place why tie them together in my experience your network team looked after one and it's moving more towards your security team needing to look after the other how is that going to work if you slam them into one place now if anyone's got the answer out there to how that's going to work I'm I'd love to hear it or if it comes around over the next three six nine months I'd love to see it but it all comes down to right now I I don't believe the market's mature enough or in in would be suitable enough for me to take that single vendor kind of jump um but we are running out of time here and before you go john i i I need to ask you about thanksgiving um i mean we can't have a podcast and not talk a little bit about food um i've never been in the u.s for thanksgiving i've been there for halloween and it's a big deal I've actually been around in the US for for Christmas and New Year's, but Thanksgiving. Talk to me about food and Thanksgiving.
0: <laughs> Thanksgiving. Uh, it, it's it's how do I say it? Um, it's basically gorging yourself on food. Uh, <laughs> in the traditional sense, it's uh, it's turkey, it's um, pies, it's uh, mashed potatoes, uh, it's gravy. Uh, It's just this uh, incredible amount of of food and and bringing together families and uh, sitting down at the table, having great conversations. Um, And uh, and then as well, our our other tradition is is watching American football. So um, it's a day I look forward to because uh, I, I don't get to see my extended family as much as I'd like to. And uh, this year, we've got my sister coming into town, my brothers coming into town. Uh, Usually, my aunt and uncle and their son usually roll in. Uh, Unfortunately, um, with airfares being the way they are and travel, uh, they're not going to make it this year. But um, it'll be a smaller gathering. Uh, But uh, it'll be a good time. Um, The one thing I, I, you know, I've had Thanksgiving, uh, a, most of, of my life, there was a few years where I wasn't in the US, so I, I couldn't partake. But it always involves turkey. I don't like turkey. I just don't. It's it's dry. Um, I know it's traditional. Uh, and um, basically, I told my wife this year, I said, look, uh, you can get a turkey if you want. Uh, but I'm getting a ham. I love a good spiral ham on Thanksgiving Christmas. That is like my go-to for, for that, uh, event. And, uh, so I pretty much banned, uh, the big bird, uh, from my Thanksgiving. I, I think we'll probably have, somebody will bring a turkey breast or a turkey leg or something like that. And, you know, for the people that have to be traditionalists, but, uh, it will be, uh, it'll be ham for me this year.
1: See, it sounds, I mean, I don't like turkey either funnily enough, so obviously we don't have Thanksgiving, but at Christmas it's traditional to have turkey, and and I don't like it. I much prefer a ham or, or a beef joint, but one question before we close is, how is it different to Christmas, and if you get everyone together at Thanksgiving, it sounds to me when you explain it to me that it's very similar to our Christmas. If you've done it like in November time, does that mean your Christmas is a little bit quieter? You don't have all the family round, or do you just do it twice?
0: You do it twice. Uh, one with presents and one without.
1: Okay. I'm going to have to come over at Thanksgiving one time and, and have. Yeah, we'll have
0: to have you over at some point. We'll figure it out.
1: So, yes, yeah, so I have really enjoyed this. Um, it's, it's always nice to speak to you. I hope the listeners enjoy listening as well. Um, but yeah, reach out to us if you, like John said, if you've done anything around the training or if you want to be a guest on the podcast, um, feel free to reach out.
0: Or if you just want to have a conversation around a single vendor, Sassy, bring it on.